1: And this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barber Gordon Podcast, episode 42 for June MMXII. Episode 42 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Hey, Joey, watch this! Come back! The ice
2: can break! <laughs> You're breaking my heart! Ah! Help me! Hold it! Don't go on the ice! You'll only add more weight! no, no job. job! Find something that'll reach! This branch ought to work. Remember, frozen ponds and rivers may not be totally frozen. And we could be skating on thin
1: ice. Now we know.
0: And knowing is half the battle. G.I.
1: Joe! Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the Gold silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are August Batgirl number 13 and Birds of Prey number 13, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Well, a pretty exciting thing happened to me this past week, and let me just tell you, Batman Arkham City was probably like so heralded, everyone was really excited for it. Now I knew without a doubt that I was going to get uncharted 3 when it came out. And due to the fact that I have a job and you know not much time afterwards you know, after I get back and, and I eat and work out and things like that, I basically can only choose one thing to do. So I thought, well, if Batman comes out in October and it's as big as a game that they're boasting about, and then Uncharted 3 comes out in November, there's no way I can do both of them. So I decided I'm going to go with Uncharted 3. So I get Uncharted 3, you know, play that game. Now, Black Friday rolls around, and the last time that Batman game came out I actually got it for half off on Black Friday as well Batman Arkham Asylum and so I was going to try my luck with Arkham City and sure enough I was able to get it for $30 so I was pretty stoked about this now I finally decided to play it around like December 10th I think something like that and it was a weekend I played it for maybe two hours and just in that two hour time span I realized how big the game really was, and I thought to myself, there's no way I can do it right now during school, so I need to just wait until I have a reasonable break. So a few weeks ago, I ended up starting over again, I thought, let's just, I'm not too far into it, let's do it, and just marathon playing basically, and and, you know, doing the side missions and everything, and I finally beat it. And, well, I'm excited for beating it. I know other people (laughs) probably are like, wow, I did that, you know, six months ago. But I do have to say, I think I enjoyed the first one better. And I just thought it was too big of a game And I don't know, in my opinion, Batman isn't really the type of hero to have this sort of like roam around. Maybe that's wrong, but I just always imagine it for someone like Spider-Man who really needs to be able to do that. But for Batman, it was just such a huge game. Uh, The storyline was good. I mean, obviously there were some shocking things that happened. I don't know. I guess I shouldn't spoil it. I know there are people out there that haven't played it yet. The ending was certainly shocking. Um, part of me thinks that that person isn 't necessarily dead, but it was also shocking to see the other person get killed but i 'm sure she 's not dead either. Um, I actually went on YouTube and there were like East, there 's like this channel that gave like twenty minutes of Easter eggs, and that was pretty interesting, especially with like scarecrow things they found with scarecrow. Um, Harley Quinn is pregnant, basically. You can see the pregnancy box if you go up to the manager's office in the... It's not in the steel mill and uh, buy her costume. And then if you do New Game Plus and you beat it, she actually sings a birthday song. So she must have actually given birth. Uh, So that should be interesting if they indeed decide to uh, do a third game. Along these lines, some of the character designs were interesting. I think the the weirdest one for me was Talia Al Ghul. She reminded me of Blair Waldorf from Gossip Girl with the headband, and I don't know, just sexed up. And I think a lot of these characters are just generally sexed up. But it was great to have Oracle. I, I'd say that she was online more than she was in the previous game. Uh, there were some things that I missed. And uh, like Scarecrow, I kind of missed him And I think there were some certain encounters That could have been more like Scarecrow Like maybe the, uh, the Mad Hatter But it was just you beating up a bunch of bunnies And that actually made me laugh The way his mask turned into a bunny mask But it was, I mean it was a good game I don't think I would rate it like Game of the year And give it a 10 out of 10 It was enjoyable, but I don't think it was as good I enjoyed, I think, Arkham Asylum better and, I mean, I played Arkham Asylum twice, and this one, I don't know if I could actually pull myself to do that. But, I mean, I know people out there really enjoyed it, and I guess I'm looking forward to see what happens if they decide to do an Arkham world as, as is teased, but who knows, who knows. That's that part of my life, my private life. Now, coming up, July 12th through the 15th, and July 11th is preview night. Coming up, San Diego Comic-Con. Now, last year, basically I set up my webpage so that whenever I tweeted, because I can tweet directly with my phone, it would pop up on my website. And I will certainly be going to many panels and hopefully have... Um, lots of interviews as well and just keep track of that for news and things that are popping up. I'm excited to to go to DC panels. I think less the comics i'm excited about but i'm just really <laughs> like the cartoon network basically for the ben 10 that's going to come up which ultimate alien i'm not sure if uh omniverse there we go ben 10 omniverse i'm not sure sh- i'm not too sold on the animation style so i'm not sure about that but young justice is kind of like my thing right now i love it so much so that's like the one thing that i definitely want to do i want to redeem myself in tara strong's eyes because i was such like a a spaz not really a spaz but definitely like um, a really shy guy in front of like a hot girl kind of scenario where you know you can't say anything so want to redeem myself there i'd love to meet some um, voice actors that i missed like phil lamar and jennifer hale those sorts of people and hopefully catch oh man other people that Especially like Todd Knock Because I had finally f- finished my Young Justice run So there are some things that I definitely have goals But uh, when you get there Some things sort of just fly out the window But I am looking forward to it So stay tuned definitely The site and Twitter And I'll be helping out with thebatmanuniverse.net And I'll be doing some interviews with them So stay tuned to that as well and basically all up-to-date sorts of things. So I'm really excited about it. excited to, to get back with my two very good friends, very near and dear to me, uh, Donovan Morgan Grant and Joshua Lappin-Bertoni. So that's going to be fantastic. But it is so tiring but so great. But I'm excited. Uh, the final bit of news, yeah, I bet you didn't think this was news, did you? About backroll, there's a backroll Amikami comic, sort of based on the Amikami statues and figures that they have been producing. If you remember, they had a couple of them. They've got a Babs one, they've got a Cassandra one. Um, they also have Wonder Woman, things like that. And so, first they started with the Wonder Woman comic, uh, and here's a press release for it. After a three-week introduction to a Japanese manga-style version of Wonder Woman, written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray and illustrated by Amanda Connor, DC Comics' digital anime comedy series has turned its attention to Bishujo Batgirl. Sanford Green draws the new take on Batgirl and Robin as they confront adversary Poison Ivy. The weekly comics are available via DC's app and Comixology for $0.99 cents an issue. Batgirl and Robin have put aside the costume and are ready to hit the town for a little fun. That is until Poison Ivy turns up to create some chaos. And when two of her friends join, the dynamic duo find themselves outnumbered. Now Batgirl is obviously Babs Gordon, but Carrie, uh, and I assume this is Carrie Kelly from Earth 31, is her cousin and Robin. And Carrie if it is Carrie Kelly. does not look like the Carrie Kelly that you're used to, but definitely looks like a Cassandra Kane sort of Robin to her. Uh, there's a big villain team up with Duella Dent, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, Cheetah, and of course, a secret partner. And it seems like it's some sort of cyborg-esque female. But it's all females, which is great just to really push the envelope for female uh, villains and, and heroes as well. It was great to see. I read the Wonder Woman and I, I enjoyed it. Obviously, some things you kind of have to get used to but i loved seeing amanda connor doing something again that was great and and they're just fun you know they're just fun so it's kind of like super best friends forever so i definitely recommend it for 99 cents an issue really not that bad especially since you're paying three times that for like a, a paper issue so i definitely recommend those check those out remember you can get them from the dc comics app or comics c-o-m-i-x-o-l-o-g-y, C-O-M-I-X-O-L-O-G-Y. I do have a couple emails. One is from Coolby. Greetings and salutations, Stella. I'm glad that the autographed photo not only made it to you safely, but that you liked it. Oh, yes, I did. I'm not familiar with the Freedom Fighters of the era you reviewed, but I have enjoyed more recent stories involving their current lineup, so it was interesting hearing about one of their earlier stories. I do wonder how well the age guesser did with Uncle Sam, since he would have been about 202 at that point in time. It is a good thing when they de- detonated the human jelly bomb that it really reverted the other humans back to normal instead of just splattering them on the walls and two other heroes. I also did a little research, and the two issues we reviewed were the final two of that particular run, and while I still don't know why they chose them, chose then to give Phantom Lady an origin, that was the first time i had been told, as far as I can tell. Yeah, that's pretty strange. Uh, if you recall, I remember in that particular review, I thought, wait a minute, why are we going back in time right now and giving this origin when you're basically in a crisis? I always wonder... Why they pick those particular times to do that My reading order for newer books Has been a bit wibbly wobbly Timey wimey So when I read Birds of Prey number 8 I was confused as to where the new villain had come from Or the new villains, rather. But had chalked it up to missing an issue somewhere, glad to know it wasn't me, at least in this case. I am looking forward to your Young Justice commentaries, whether they be in video or audio format. Yeah, definitely, that's one of my issues with Birds of Prey number 8. Number 7 sort of goes along that line, too. It's just, well, you don't really realize that something has gone awry with number 7. Until you read number 8, it just seems like there should be a 7.5, and then, of course, like an 8.5 as well to get uh, the birds of prey with the talon. But we'll see when it picks up with number 9, if it's going in the same direction with just another story, or if it's going to go back and explain what has happened. Who are these infiltrator people? Yeah, and about this Young Justice thing, I've kind of been going back and forth on what I'm going to do, and obviously, uh, if you've been watching Young Justice, which if you haven't, I thoroughly recommend it, There is a five-year fast-forward in time, basically, and there are new members on the team, and Batgirl happens to be one of them, and I've just been thinking, you know... Babs in the Tube could definitely take on a life of its own, and I'd love to potentially think about this idea where I make video commentaries, where the video is actually up there and I'm voicing over it. Obviously, there is the concern that YouTube would take it down because it's copyright infringement. I don't know if you could do anything about that, but... I've been going back and forth with this but right now I guess we'll still continue with 1966 and go on from there and and see what happens but now we've got a little break for Young Justice and we'll see if uh, when it comes back and uh, how many more episodes Babs is in because I'm I don't know I I love Babs and there is this great moment between her and Nightwing on one of the recent ones where she really calls him out um, kind of on a feminist note and that was just Oh, it was great. And Wonder Girl, I love Wonder Girl so much. Uh, Just a perfect characterization of her. But so love that TV series is all I have to say. Uh, But we'll see. And I'm glad to hear that someone would be willing to to watch a video commentary. But I've got to sort that out before anything happens. Next up is Steve, and Steve may have thought that I forgot about him, but I truly did not, and I think that this letter certainly finds a good place here. Hey, Stell, I know I put this up on the board, but I thought I'd flesh it out more in an email for the show. So, considering that Huntress is not the pre-Flashpoint Birds of Prey member, will you still be following Helena Wayne's exploits on the show? And I guess the follow-up would be, are you bothered by the fact that this wasn't the Huntress you were looking for? Seriously, there really was nothing in that first issue of the Mini that suggested that this was anyone but the post-crisis Helena Bertinelli. Not that the Mini wasn't a good story, and obviously either way, it's still a Bat family member. But, well, not to step into your shoes, but it does make the coverage of the Mini for BTO seem like a waste of time. But again, that is just how I'd feel about it. Well, anyway, kind of interesting, though, that her original self is popping up now in your classic titles. Too bad Bat Family doesn't have very many issues left, but it'll be nice to run out the pre-crisis era in Detective Steve. So the first time I read this email, I had wondered which Helena Wayne he was talking about, um, if I'll be covering her exploits, because it certainly comes down to we've got, obviously, the Bat Family one, so old Helena Wayne, and now we've got this new Helena Wayne in World's Finest, and well, you know, just to to make everyone happy, I'm going to be covering both of those. I am going to be doing the Bat Family stories with Huntress in there, and then I am going to cover World's Finest as long as I see fit, as long as I'm enjoying the stories and people are enjoying listening to them. No, it's not Helena Bertinelli, and of course, that sort of—I mean—it does defeat the purpose that. It's, you know, not the Birds of Prey, and you can think that Karen, she's not really Power Girl, but she's really Supergirl from Another Earth. But they do sort of remind me of, like, Another Earth's Birds of Prey. And even though this story or this podcast focuses on uh, Babs, I really would like to think that it also, I think, really gets at the, the female kind of the strongest females in the DC Universe as well. I I do try to keep up with them somehow. Obviously, I'm not following Supergirl. There are other podcasts for that. But I am going to try to keep in touch with those that do have affiliations with Birds of Prey, with Batgirl, with Barbara Gordon. And even though these might not, I think it kind of follows, especially since... I I did the Huntress Mini as well. So as as long as I see fit, I'm going to cover it. And it may be tertiary and not as connected, but I guess it's better than me covering something like Superman. So we'll just go with that. Okay, and speaking of Batman family, Steve is absolutely right. We are running out. We've got 18, 19, and 20. And then we're going to get back into Detective and Batman. And then we're going to get into the Crisis and then... Man, then we're going to have an explosion, basically. And we're going to turn from Batgirl to Oracle. And that's going to be, wow, that'll be an event to be sure. But first up, we have Batman Family number 18. The first story is the Batgirl story, Assault on the Pentagon. Writer Bob Rozakis, artist Juan Ortiz and Vince Coletta, and colorist Jerry Serpe. Now, also including this Batman family were the Monstrosity Chase featuring Batman, the Fine Art of Murder featuring Robin, and Man Bat No More featuring Man Bat. On the shore of the Potomac River, a crew of sketchy men approach the Pentagon. Nearby, Babs and Senator Cleary are in a parked car, apparently watching for a meteor shower. So that's what they call it these days. Cleary puts the moves on Babs while she is distracted by the boat and the rough-looking crew. She slaps him, feigning disgust, and runs away to change it to Batgirl. At the perimeter of the Pentagon, the military police are getting a workout, with the crew shooting at them and throwing a gas grenade to take them out of action. Batgirl uses some nose filter plugs and takes out the crew. She may seem like an easy target, but she pulls a Bucky Barnes, picks up a stray gun, and disarms a baddie with one shot. But she only has a leg up until a bazooka shoots the wall behind her and puts her through it. She gets rid of the last baddie and follows a trail of muddy footprints into the inner courtyard of the Pentagon, where she finds the clothes of the perp with a ski mask, who turns out to be Madame Zodiac. Zodiac says that the stars foretold Batgirl's interference, but that it is no matter, because she is all-powerful, standing within the largest man-made pentagram in the world, imbued with mystic advantages. The military police burst in and begin shooting Zodiac, but she easily melts the walls around them. You can't count Batgirl out yet, though, as she begins throwing explosives at the walls of the Pentagon in order to destroy the pentagram. With Zodiac powerless, Batgirl knocks her out. As Zodiac is carried away, she tells Batgirl that the cards have forecast more meetings between them. Backer considers the meteor shower throwing off zodiac's horoscope as the issue comes to a close Backer wishes there was something in her utility belt to help her apologize to the senator uh, for the way she acted at the beginning you know one of the crew at the beginning is actually when they come off the boat is actually wearing this really strange ski mask and a scarf and you can tell it's a woman but the first time i read the issue i thought it was just some strange person and they wanted to make this a particular character different but you know now it's clear that you aren't supposed to know who it is right away and then you kind of see the details that it it is indeed a woman and they really speaking of this woman they've really sexed up madam zodiac with a really revealing top and i don't quite remember her looking that way in the previous batman family that she was in I do have some questions with this story. Namely, how Zodiac got these minions. How these minions were able to best military police station the Pentagon. Probably the best of the best. And what did Zodiac exactly want? That was not said throughout the entire issue. So, who knows? It's like the owls. You never know what they want with Gotham City. You just have to accept that they're taking over it was a strange thing to see Becker with a gun and and you know she really did remind me of bucky barnes in the cap suit when he first took over and she 51 i don't know becker really tries to use her smarts but she's just outgunned in this issue i don't really get how she is alive after being in proximity to a bazooka and with her barely getting out of the way of the mp firing nonstop at zodiac i did like some of the comments she was making about her Uh, utility belt and and that Robin, you know, told her wisely to to pack it well and having those nose plugs in there, which kind of cracked me up. I also would like to know why Batgirl would start destroying the Pentagon. Sure, sure, she wants to make it no longer a pentagram, but she's really just putting holes into the walls. And is that really enough to stop Zodiac, to stop these mystic powers from emanating from this giant pentagram? Finally... No, I I certainly did not forget it, people. I'm the shipper expert. Let's talk about this car scene with Babs and Cleary. Number one, I guess it really is over between Babs and... Well, gee, what's his name? Yeah, because everyone else has forgotten it. I mean, she doesn't even bat an eyelash. Number two, the whole scene is like something that would happen to a couple of teenagers. But, hey... These are adults in Congress Meteor shower watching as if And then Babs slaps him and runs away And the issue ends with her wondering If she can salvage their relationship I mean this is the first romantic encounter they have had And it's already a relationship This is probably one of the uh, Hero acting like a weak woman endings That that we've been missing all this time And I don't know She's just acting too much like a girl And she needs to act More like a a, a strong character there. I mean, if you need to slap someone to get out of the car and rush to save the world, then that's what you got to do. Now, given that more space was given to Batman and Robin, Batgirl only got 12 pages out of this 80-page spectacular to make this story work, uh, which is actually better than the 9 of Man-Bad and 10 of Huntress. So I guess it's understandable that not a lot of the details involving Zodiac and her plans are fleshed out. But as Zodiac rightly or incorrectly, I don't know, threatens Batgirl. I guess we'll see if we are going to see her in the end again. Who knows? Six out of ten bats. The next story uh, was featuring Huntress, a choice of destinies created and crafted by Paul Levitz, Penciler, Joe Staton, Bob Layton, Inker, Todd Klein Letters, and Adrian Roy colors. Helena is at the law firm of Cranston, Grayson, and Wayne with Roger Demarest and Cranston. Helena is helping with a research group for the firm, but Roger is upset with her lack of attention and calls her a poor substitute for Richard Grayson, only contributing her curvaceous form, her father's money, and no legal talent. Helena is infuriated, but at least Cranston is understanding and knows that Helena wants to help Gotham. Meanwhile, going around Gotham is a string of fires. She wonders if Richard Grayson could put aside his training and become a diplomat to save the world from itself, but decides to try to do it herself since she is the daughter of Bruce Wayne. She changes into her hunter's garb and goes to investigate some of the fires in South Gotham, where people are burning their own homes for the insurance just for a way to get out. As Huntress contemplates all this, a boy comes running out, yelling Sutter Avenue's going up. Sure enough, another building is on fire, and the firemen aren't keen on doing their duty. There are some people inside and Huntress zips in to get them out. She gets to the she gets the group to the roof and lowers them down with the rope, all before the roof caves in and she falls with it. Luckily for her she has some mountain climbing experience. The doctors take care of the inhabitants and tell them that seeing a gal in a Halloween suit was a hallucination from the smoke. Hodges changes back into her Helena Wayne street clothes and goes down an alley to follow a conversation she had heard earlier. It appears the little boy who told the people about the fire is a runner for some shady individual. He plants a bomb in the building and then gets money for the job. Helena runs after the man, but both the boy and the man are gone without a trace, to be continued. Well In the beginning, I really have no idea what this law firm is about, what a research group has to do with it, or how a research group could help with particular legislation. And I just like to keep out of politics in general, so I'll I'll plead ignorance on this topic. But I do have to say that if any of you have read Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I believe you will agree with me when I say that the first thirty pages are really dense with a lot of information thrown at you and only after you get past that will you be you know, is it really quick and and, and easier to understand? And I felt like it was just like that. Just a lot of information about all this political stuff and, and this research and you have I feel like I'm not alone when I say that you were kind of thrown in there and made to believe you should know what is going on, and this is old hat, and it's been continuing from a certain point, but guess what? I, I don't think that you do. It's, it's made to seem as if a lot has happened to these characters before here, but her appearances in Batman Family predate her backup stories in Wonder Woman, so I really wonder where else there could be keys to her history, and I will accept any ideas on this from any listeners There are also a few references to Dick Grayson of Earth 2 put in there as if we're out to know what's going on but really with no mention of reference issues so either we're all on the same page and have no idea or it's just me. And, I mean, if it is just me, that's fine, because I am i will be free to admit it rather than pretend I know what's going on. It seems really random that Helena would all of a sudden want to spring into action as Huntress that evening when there was really no call to duty, but I guess, you know, she is going on patrol, so I can potentially accept that. Uh, she sort of goes out of her way. She pulls like a Superman exit. I mean, she changes her clothes and then decides to go through the elevator and then up the shaft and... I mean, she could have just stuck out and onto the streets, but okay. The Fires of South Gotham is an intriguing story point, made all the more so because people are doing it deliberately to get out of Gotham. So you wonder what makes this Gotham so bad, and is it worse than Earth One's? The Fires also remind me of the burning of Rome. Uh, Supposedly Nero did this. Uh, to make his his golden house now those apartment buildings weren't very safe you know so it was reasonable that there was fire but the firemen here unlike the ones in rome which were actually made up of slaves and were a big racket at that time i won't go into all of that but that's pretty interesting if you research those these firemen don't even want to do their job and don't care about people dying in the buildings which was somewhat of a shock and then it turns out that the kids are runners for crime. Now, this is an interesting take on things and really shows how bad off this Gotham is. And you could almost compare it to things in Africa with, with uh, children armies. After Huntress rescues the people from the building, she changes back into her street clothes. And, well, guess what? I have no idea how she did that. I mean, she didn't carry a little bag like Spidey in order to stick her clothes in. And it just bothered me a great deal. There she was behind with some rubble changing into her clothes, and I don't know where they came from. It's a good start, I think, for the character, and while the beginning makes you swim in a lot of information, and there's little clue, or I have little clue as to how we actually got there, the crime and the mystery, it seems like a good fit for her, and we're going to see what happens, and let's see if she is her father's daughter and can do some detective work. Eight out of ten bats. Now, from this particular issue we do have a letters page dear editor it's nice to read a comic book where the writer is obviously having fun with the characters involved even when those characters happen to be the villains of course i'm talking about that pair of millionaires gone wrong killer moth and the cavalier it seems to me that since their return in batman family number 10 they've been treated with less than normal respect due criminals of their stature not that treatment is wrong though On the contrary, it is exactly what they deserve, considering that both villains are relatively unfamiliar to most of today's fans and that neither had appeared anywhere for who knows how many years. Perhaps it is best stated that they are legends in their own minds. What I'm saying is that Bob Razakis is having a good time with these two by showing just how pompous has-been supervillains can be. It's fun to watch them as they continually lower their sights in terms of their goals in life. By lowering their sights, I don't mean to lessen the reputations of Batgirl or Robin. You've got to admit, though, that attacking the Cape Crusaders' sidekick and bad admirer is quite a step down from tackling the Batman himself. And neither of the two heroes helped the situation with their treatment of the two villains anyhow. The way they jumped onto the plans of the Moth and Cavalier was almost ridiculous in its ease. Robin is especially guilty of that last statement because whereas backrow merely defeated Killer Moth, the Teen Wonder went on to make a total jackass out of the Cavalier. I still can't get over the Nibor ruse. And what's worse is that the jerk fell for it. See what I mean about having fun with villains? Since I've said something about Robin in Find the Cave and Rule the Underworld, I should also speak about his costume compatriot, so I will. For one thing, I was glad to see Jason Bard and hope to see more of him in the backroll stories. I don't quite know why, but Jason has always appealed to me as a supporting character. Oh, I feel bad for you, sir, because he's probably not going to be a supporting character in the background stories i don't uh let's see here he always struck me as a man who managed to overcome his handicaps with pride and dignity and went on to pursue an unusual career perhaps that and the sympathy he he made me feel drew me to him also i liked seeing Batgirl and her father talking seriously together the situation could have been corny but just having babs call the commissioner dad gave it a very realistic aspect with the Man bat story, Target, the Shotgun Sniper, the emphasis was not so much on the content uh, as it was on the art, or more specifically, Michael Golden's debut. Anyone stepping into the shoes of Marshall Rogers is naturally going to be compared to him, and who am I to go against nature? Both men have somewhat similar styles, but where Marshall goes for the sharp image, Mike goes for the more abstract view. Each uses a cinematic approach, and I already think Golden's is in the superior. And Mike's version of Mambat isn't too shabby either. The face is a shade too hairy for my taste, but a quick shave could cure that. Mike White, Mackinac, Illinois. You'll note that Mike Golden is penciling Batman instead of Mambat this issue, and to help him get on schedule, we've had Danny Boulandil fill in on our winged warrior. But Mike will be handling both features come Batman Family No. 20, and we couldn't be happier. B.R. Dear Editor, Batman Family should be lighter in mood than the Batman strips, and it appropriately is. Background Robin can take on the enemies and plots that are no longer right for the Dark Knight detective, and Bat Fam number 15 is a perfect example of what I mean. The Cavalier and Killer Moth aren't heavyweights, and I don't believe they could ever stand a chance against the Batman. But they can give the Dynamite duo a run for their money. It was nice to see that the idea wasn't to take over the world or kill the heroes, but merely to find the Batcave and thereby increase the villains' opportunities for wealth and power among their peers. I sometimes tire of things grim and cosmic. Thanks, Bob. Although the issues were Lee Eliza's best effort to date, I now want to address Joe Giella. Inkers are often overlooked. Mr. Giella is perfect for this book. His work is lighthearted enough to fit the mood of the stories. And besides that, he used to ink my two favorite features, The Flash and Batman. You're as good as ever, Joe. Mark Lampart, South Bend, indiana keep an eye on issues of the flash mark because joe periodically fills in his inker on that feature and by the way killer moth fans you'll be interested in hearing that km is split with cavalier in favor of more deadly pursuits beginning in secret society of super villains number 16 br oh interesting Dear Editor, Find the Cave and Rule the Underworld was a typical younger reader-oriented story written by a rising young writer. But I think Barbara Zakis was teasing the more mature readers with it because Target, the shotgun sniper, was brilliant. It's a shame that Americans do not take comics more seriously so that a feature such as Man Bat could survive on its own, rather than as a backup feature. The characters seemed to jump alive, and much of this was owed to Mike Golden's art. Hopefully, one day soon, the comics will gain their rightful place and a strip like Mambat will be the lead instead of the second feature. Not all of your readers are young kids, and we older readers enjoy a serious attempt by a writer artist team. Hector M. Rambla, New York, New York. Our goal is to try to entertain every reader, Hector. In a larger format book like our giant and dollar comic sizes, we can present a number of features, providing a variety which will hopefully contain something for everybody. And just because Mambat is the backup in this Book doesn't make it a second rate feature. The same amount of script, art, and editorial attention goes into every story we do. Bob Rosakis. Well, that's it for the letters pages. Now I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, I will review background number nine and birds of prey number nine, both part of the Night of the Owls crossover event and world's finest number one. But now, Zias' radio hour featuring I'm Still Standing by Elton John. See you soon.
2: You can never know what it's like. you blood like winter is just like ice. There's a cold and lonely light that shines from you.
1: I do have to say before I start this next batch of reviews that Batgirl number nine and Birds of Prey both are nine were both under the Night of the Owls event with Batman. So of course, if these are sort of confusing to you or you don't know what a Talon is, then. I guess I refer to you to Batman uh, basically from the beginning and this entire event. And I do have to say, you know, you can listen to all of those. I do recommend the batmanuniverse.net for all of those comic reviews, especially the whole event that we had been going through the past few episodes over there. But I do have to say that while I was sort of getting increasingly frustrated with Batman, just because, man, you know... This, this talent thing and the owl things just kept going, and it didn't really seem like it was going to produce any fruit whatsoever. It really came through, and I've really been enjoying this event. And some books, obviously, are better than others, and you'll be surprised, I guess, with my reviews today and what I think about them. So first up, we have Batgirl Number 9, Night of the Owls, In the Line of Fire. Writer Girl Simone, Pencil Ardian Siaf, Inker Vigentis Efuentes, and Colorist Ulysses Areola. Japan, November 1944. A little girl, Ayumi, writes a letter to her parents as she prepares a fugo, balloons carrying a bomb which will cross the ocean to the United States. Gotham City Outskirts, 1946. A representative for the Court of Owls that looks eerily like Bruce Wayne comes to Haley Circus looking for an aerialist for the court. Mary doesn't speak, and her face is greatly bandaged as her family was killed in the paper balloon bomb attack in Oregon during the war. The circus picked her up, though many of the people are frightened of her. The representative for the Owls is disgusted at Haley's treatment of the girl and tells Mary that she will now have a nest of her own and no need for her bandages because she will have a new mask present day. Batgirl is in front of a fiery blaze with a female talent coming after her. They are fighting atop a burning building in Widow, Jakarta, home of Gotham's long-standing Indonesian community. An explosion came out of nowhere, and witnesses say they saw a balloon carrying a bomb. Batgirl is clearly outgunned in this match and clings to the side of the building hoping for a wing and a prayer. The Talon has a Cassandra Cain moment, touches Batgirl's cowl and disappears. Bewildered, Batgirl pulls herself up from the building and examines a scrap of yellow paper she snatched from the Talon. Elsewhere, Gordon is walking the streets in front of GCPD when a kind stranger tells him he dropped something. Gordon bends to pick up what turns out to be a coin with an owl on it. The stranger threatens his daughter and him in the same breath, telling him of a small fireworks display that will be at the ready should he doubt the threats. Several prominent Gotham citizens will die tonight with nothing preventing it. There will be no savior. No one can be warned. He will be watched and he is under no circumstances supposed to light the signal for Batman. He needs to be a father or everything close to him will burn. Later in the office, he learns that there was an explosion in the Indonesian grid. Later, Babs arrives at her apartment with no Elysia. Babs uses some frozen peas to soothe her chin and examines the decades-old paper she retrieved, scrawled in kanji with November 1944. She has a bad feeling. Back at GCPD, Detective McKenna lets Gordon know about the current events in Batman and Robin. Back with Babs, she sniffs the Mulberry paper and narrates the history of the Fugo. Back with the commish, he receives multiple reports of different Gotham leaders winding up dead. Gordon calls his daughter, but the stranger intercepts the call and warns him again. Outside the GCPD, many balloons are dropping. Batgirl receives Alfred's distress call. Gordon tells McKenna to get people inside to the holding cells and to send a car to get Barbara. And Gordon plans on widening the signal because people need to believe that someone's out there who still answers that call or else the city falls and never gets up again. After the explosion at GCPD, Batgirl worries about her father for five seconds, but is distracted by the town she encountered before and goes to the rooftop for round two. With bombs exploding around them, Gordon races to the signal and Babs flies between the balloons like a sea of jellyfish. Batgirl gets in some hits, but is still outmatched, loses some locks of hair, catch it, Nightwing, catch it before it falls, and is about to topple over another building before she catches the town off balance and throws her into a balloon. The town is still alive at the bottom and Backrow asks why she didn't kill her at the set of the first explosion the Talon, Mary the mute girl we met at Haley Circus, scrawls in her blood, I have masks too I understand. Meanwhile Gordon turns on the signal and amid the floating balloons of destruction, not a bat but an owl appears. The stranger used Gordon and now it seems that Gotham is lost as the little girl's letter from Nagasaki, Japan closes out the issue. Next up, Nightfall Well, let me read you something before I get into it, a particular headline that actually talks about what happened on May 5th in 1945, where a woman and five children in Gearhart Mountain, Oregon, were killed after discovering an explosive balloon launched by the Japanese military. The Reverend Archie Mitchell was on an outing with his pregnant wife, Elsie, and five local youngsters when they found the odd-looking balloon. As Elsie and the children examined the balloon, it exploded, killing all six of them. I had heard of the Japanese balloon, so I shouted a warning not to touch it, said Reverend Mitchell to the Seattle Times in June 1945, but just then there was a big explosion. I ran up there, and they were all dead. In a little-known 1944 Fugo campaign, Japan released between 9,000 and 10,000 bomb-laden balloons that floated across the Pacific and were intended to explode in America, causing forest fires and panic. Each balloon was armed with a 15-kilogram anti-personnel bomb and four 4.5-kilogram incendiaries, as well as a flash bomb to destroy evidence of the devices. Japan said it was in retaliation for the 1942 U.S. Doolittle raid in which American pilots bombed key targets in Tokyo under cover of darkness from aircraft carriers in the Pacific. So just getting a sense of the the historical events behind it all, I really applaud the fact that Simone uses these and harnesses these and brings them into the story like that, almost acting like a foil for the story. Because we all know that all of these talons, well, if you've been reading along for the Night of the Owls event, all of these talons sort of have some sort of background, and the majority of them have in association with Haley's circus. But this one, even though she does have sort of an outside relationship with them, she's also related to this girl in Japan and 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 that goes around this entire sort of event with these balloons. So I enjoy that. I do wonder why we don't see the lead-up to this story. You know, it seems like we were just forced to endure grotesque, and then we we're thrown right into the action here, and I just felt like I missed something. Connection, I, I wanted more of a connection between the two past stories, more than just a tenuous thread. I mean, we meet this girl in Japan, Yumi, and you feel connection with her and her feeling of national pride or her separation from her family. And then you meet Mary, and this is a young girl. She's separated from her family. She has pride for the circus, and her life is destroyed by the boon that... A Yumi made, and in the end, it, it also almost appears as if Mary is Asian as well, and I guess I just would have wanted a Yumi story to have more of an impact on the story as a whole, rather than just being a cause and effect thing, you know, uh, like six degrees, basically. Is there a connection between Night and the Owls and World War II? Is it the fact that the owls are attacking home turf is just like these balloons in the Japan, uh, the Japanese attacking U.S. on their home turf? But I, I don't know if we can draw more of a connection between the Night and World War II than that. Why would Mary use the one thing she, that she probably hates the most? I mean, her life was basically destroyed by these balloons, so why use them? But then again, she does target the Indonesian community of Gotham as if to give the Japanese a taste of their own medicine. Now, in all the commotion, I guess everyone, including Babs and Jim, forget about Babs Sr. And if we're lucky, you know, she got a surprise balloon as well. And if we're double lucky, then Alicia and uh, James Jr. had an explosive date. But even Babs changes all of a sudden from having a great amount of concern for her father, and then all of a sudden she sees a Talon, and she has to go find her. And, you know, at least we do see Babs have a smart moment with her... And and her getting rid of the Talon, but I mean, is the Talon even dead? We've seen in other books, though I not on this show, of course, but in other books, we notice that the Batman family really have to go out of their way to really take these Talons out of the picture by way lethal means, because they're basically zombies. So I wonder what happens to this Talon. Is this story over? Will we ever see her again? And I can tell you that we don't. So that that is sort of a question mark that's left dangling in my mind. Why is it we have a talent here which we are made to sympathize with um, and even has a sympathetic streak? I feel like the majority of other talents, while all of them have a history which gives depth to the characters, many we don't really care much about. Why is it that this particular talent evokes sympathy and is sympathetic to our heroine? Doesn't that go against the code? And, you know, part of this reason could be that this talent just reminds me of Cassandra Kane. The fact that she's mute and she uses these signs and here we have this particular talent going up against Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. It's just... A lot of Cassandra Gain. And speaking of sympathy, let's talk about the stranger. Is the our representative that visits Haley the same man that accosts Gordon? We saw what the court did to Ronnie and Nightwing, sticking him in a chokey, making him climb barbed wires naked. Uh, but then we see this guy showing care and concern for young Mary and I wonder what that's about because one talon is showing negative feelings and not really being very caring, and then we have this one that shows a great deal of care for our potential talent. Why doesn't the Dark Stranger kill Gordon instead of using him as a pawn? Wasn't Gordon on the actual list? Couldn't the Owls have lit the signal for themselves? Would it just be more tragically poignant to have Gordon light the Doom for Gotham, which I guess is really what happens. But, you know, for once, I felt that the art was consistent, though some of the outfits that Babs wears uh, do not... Uh, agree with me the writing seems better and and though i don't really like the constant back and forth between gordon and babs at one point you know there was one panel with jim a full page with babs and then back to jim i do wonder if we could have just saved that one panel for later but overall it was much more solid writing and you know i ask a lot of questions about connections and like what's up with this what's up with that but i think that The fact that I really, I'm intrigued by it and I would like to learn more, I think that's a sign of a good storyline. And I do thank Simone for that. And I just wonder, you know, how much of this particular story was Simone and how much of it was perhaps input from Snyder since he was, he's sort of the, the guide, I would say, behind this whole Night of Owls event. But we should give credit where credit is due, and again, I do like the the historicity, uh, historicity. But behind this issue, and it was just well done, and I liked this talent, and I wish I could see more of her, but we probably can't. But I give it seven out of ten bats. On to the next one, Birds of Prey number nine, Gangland style. Again a part of the Night of the Owls crossover writer Dwayne Swarzynski pencil or travel four men this is the first time for travel on the book here Inker Jeff Huet and colorist Gabe Eltabe. Gotham City Anno Domini that means in the year of our Lord 1842 the streets are filled with evil people banded together in gangs to rob rape and kill a stronger gang than these is the Court of Owls and moments later we see the streets filled with the blood of the evil men themselves Gotham City, Night of the Owls. Katana and Dinah struggle on their feet through a park. Dinah asks if a Katana thinks Ivy is dead, but Katana says her husband says she is not, and further adds that the Talon chasing them does not have a soul. Speaking of the Talon, here's Henry! Dinah unleashes the full force of her canary cry on him, but it does nothing, which certainly surprises the heck out of her. His name is Henry Pollard, and he's a strong but silent type. He sees the Gotham streets as the same as in with vermin crawling over it but only the dress has changed Dinah and Katana struggle badly with the Talon while Dinah quickly narrates how they got to this point As Dinah and Tatsu spar and after Batgirl sparred with the Cassandra Cain Talon Batgirl notifies the birds that Batman has put out an all-call asking for help In attempting to assemble the team Dinah and Katana go to get Ivy but only find some plant-like skin on a pole assuming the Talon found her first Back in the present, nothing seems to be taking good old Henry down, so the two birds flee to the Church of St. Francis, the legendary site of the first issue of this series. Dinah hopes that her knowledge of the layout will give them a tactical advantage. Katana asks why Dinah seemed to be holding back, and Dinah explains that the stuff with her husband's murder brought up all sorts of baggage and hold that thought diner recognizes the hum of ev's rolls royce barreling toward the talon ev hits henry again destroying part of the church with her car and removes his mask to reveal a scary visage with which we are all familiar if we've been reading these night of alice crossovers henry tries to strangle the strumpet starling but Backroll swings down the nick of time and uses the church to create a pulley system to pull up the talon Backrow briefly explains about the talons before Henry's line snaps and the birds run away to lure him to a nearby train station. The hope is that they can get him inside the meat car, which is chilled to a low degree. They do manage to get him in there, but he easily pops out, not wanting to go back to sleep so soon. As the birds hold him down, a 70% human, 30% plant ivy appears with a grudge. A plant's ability to survive the extreme cold will allow her to hold the talon in the car until he is put out for good. Just don't forget to thaw her out. At the end of the issue, Ev explains that she was visiting an old friend, and Dinah mentions an old promise she made to Ivy that involves a machete and a plane. Next up, Amazon Coma. Wow. So, at the Batman Universe, we recently had a, a discussion sort of about violence and comics, and I would some books I'm sort of used to it, uh, like. Batwoman. I know that opening Batwoman, I'm going to have some macabre scenes, and I'm very used to that happening here. And for the most part, I would say, hopefully you would agree with me, that Birds of Prey has been pretty tame with his violence. I mean, there have been some violent actions like the decapitation of Trevor Cahill um, some brutal killings in the in the first uh, part of um, the first arc like issue two or so but wow this beginning with all the dead bodies seeing it in you know two panel spread you've got entrails coming out this is just something that I think this particular book is not used to so that sort of caught me unawares now one of the, the big things that I really did not like is the fact that Dinah starts talking about her personal business and yes Katana asked about her but really couldn't she have pulled the team leader card and said Katana it's not the time to talk about it Uh, you know she just goes off on her feeling about her husband's death and how that has thrown her for a loop and I mean she could have just easily said yes Uh, but she's a little out of it because of recent events but not gone into a whole dramatic monologue and I mean really you couldn't tell that she was off her game anyway she pulled out a full canary cry They were trying their best. Anyone that's been reading the other books knows that the talents are pretty top-notch. You can't really kill them or do anything with them. So no one really would have noticed, and I kind of would have liked that entire bit to be left out. Frankly, I don't even think it's believable that she was thinking about her dead husband at all. With the crazy owl on your trail, you know, it's unable to be defeated, as I said before. Gotham's under attack. I think your focus is forced on him. So... I don't know. I just think that this was a subtle, albeit inappropriate way to keep a connection with the previous storyline so that you don't forget about it, even though this is sort of a a one-off issue. We really learn uh, that Batman is leery about this team, uh, especially since the call did not go out to him, but people like Jason Todd got it. How strange that Donna calls him the mythical Batman, and Ev talks about him like he is a larger-than-life figure. It really seems like there's no personal connection with him, and I wonder if this will change at all. Where has Ev been? When did she get back from the undisclosed location in South Dakota? And now we're going to pick up like everything is okay and go off to another mission on Ivy's behalf? very strange and not a lot of connection or transition there and speaking of ev i love her entrance and how it definitely harps back to the first issue uh, the car and this destroyed church and all of that and you know obviously no i don't like churches being destroyed but i do like that it goes back to that issue and it's very reminiscent of it What about choke? Here are other questions that I have. What about the infiltrators? What about all the issues that the team currently has? This is just one of the the main problems that I have. We ended with choke, sort of, uh, but there was still a question in the air that it may not be choke. And then we had this infiltrators issue, we were thrown into that, and then we had this. And it's just very, who it, it seems like there are, are a lot of things going off and off panel and that there could be half issues uh, placed in between <laughs> seven and eight and nine. And maybe that would fill up and, and be able to get you from one point to the other. But it just seems like bam, bam, bam. And there's no connection between the three of them. And remember that. I mean, Ivy is, she is in a bad way, and you can tell with, with, you know, her appearance and everything, but the way they left the team after issue seven was in a really bad place and then remember one of my issues one of my my problems with number eight is that everyone seemed to come back together as if nothing had happened and then we sort of have this same issue right here. I like that when we see the birds through Henry's eyes he sees them as if they were back in 1842. I also like that this Talon doesn't talk at all. I mean he really seems like the type that wants to get the job done. Yes he has a self-righteous attitude but he's not filled with hubris like the other Talons are. I thought the art was good. Uh, I think it's going to take me uh, another issue or two to get used to Travel Foreman. And I'll certainly miss those those little pink noses by Hazy Saez. Those always cracked me up. But it, it was. I think it was a really good issue. I just have a lot of questions about sort of how did we get to this point. And, of course, next issue is not going to be <laughs> related to this talent at all. So we're going to have to see how that one, issue number 10 is able to pick up the threads from 7 and 8. But I do give this 9.5 out of 10 birds. Next up for the first time, World's Finest. And for this one at least, this is just going to be like a a real bullet snapshot of what's going on. Just because I I do want to focus on places where you know babs actually is and she's not in this one but i did enjoy it so i'm going to go through it and we'll see if if people enjoy hearing this rundown then i'll continue with it and maybe expand uh, or if not then i'll just scrap it but world's finest number one rebirth writer paul Levitz, artist george perez inker scott koblish on the present day sequences and artist kevin mcguire rosemary cheatham as the inker on the uh, flashback sequences The issue opens in Tokyo with Helena burning a passport after a job and trying to decide who to be next. Karen adds her thoughts until their dinner is interrupted by a call from her newly purchased R&D lab. The two race to the lab and see that it is on fire and Karen wants to know if the quantum tunneler is safe. She rushes in and Helena follows, changing into her hunter's garb. In the middle of the lab, a clothing-torn Karen stands checking out the damage of the quantum tunneler. Huntress checks out some of the wiring and realizes that it was not a lab accident. And Karen uses her x ray vision to look at the tech and notices some of the radioactive stores are missing. Huntress comments that Karen needs a costume when we flash back to five years ago on Earth 2. Helena is Robin, the daughter of Bruce Wayne Batman, and Karen is really Zor L. Told you, Dustin. Supergirl. The heroes of Earth 2 are fighting against Darkseid's forces. A boom tube opens and sends Robin and Supergirl spinning, and they land on a beachfront in quite another world. 59 months ago. Helena and Karen are still talking about what happened back home, but decide it's time to move forward. A few weeks ago, Helena busts up some bad guys as she reflects on Karen's change into a tech mogul. Back to the present, Karen pulls out a costume and calls herself Power Girl. The two race off through the building and happen upon the saboteur, Haku. Next, Haku, the irradiated man, and more of the missing years of our heroine's lives. Well, the biggest shock, I think, for me was definitely the reveal that the actual Earth One Helena Bertinelli is dead, and that's how uh, Helena was able to take her identity for her job there. Now, I don't have too much to say about this issue, I think especially since it is the first. You sort of need to, I mean, unless it's really awful, right? You sort of need to read it and, and process it, but wait for the second one to see how it builds from there. But it was well connected uh, with Earth, the Earth 2 issue, number one, and I definitely recommend that as well, where you sort of get this backstory right before the 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 boom tube opens, and you actually see Supergirl and Robin go through it. And that's mostly focusing on this war with Darkseid and Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. And sort of their end, don't want to spoil anything, but they do die, in fact. The story in this particular issue here, Earth uh, World's Finest, is well done. Uh, I'm afraid that the search for a way home is going to be the main focus at all times, if and until it actually happens. And I do respect, you know, the fact that they want to go home, and that seems like a legitimate thing, and that's certainly something that we had seen for 52 episodes of Samurai Jack, but... I hope it's just not like time after time after time just like searching for this quantum tunneler and it's nowhere to be found. I do like the characters and I think they work well together with fun moments interspersed. Like Helena telling Karen she needs to put some clothes on after they're all shredded and she's sort of just standing there in the lab. I like finding out what has happened to the characters by jumping back in time and I assume that at some point the past and the present will move closer and closer together. I do worry that the flashes will become more frequent and less well-organized or transitioned so that they'll be more difficult to follow. And this is something that we've sort of seen with Batwoman, and I've kind of gotten used to it, but it, it really has these weird snapshots like three weeks ago, five hours ago, five days ago. And uh, it, it, sometimes it's hard to, <laughs> it is difficult to follow. So let's hope that this is not the case. But... I enjoyed the issue. I think that's really the simplest statement I can make about this, and I'm interested to see what happens from here and to really get to know these characters. And, you know, I've already got to know Hunter's a great deal, so now it'll just be getting to know Karen. And I think some people are already familiar with her in her um, appearances in Mr. Terrific, but more importantly, how did these two work together? Because if you think about it, this is like a, a small a piece of the earlier birds of prey uh team because oracle worked with power girl individually until something bad happened and then you know you've got huntress so i give this i've got to come up with something clever here nine out of ten shredded costumes Well, hopefully you enjoyed those reviews. They were good all around, which I think has not happened on this show in quite a while. So uh, thanks for that, certainly. Next up is Babs in the Tube. And this is the segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently I'm watching the 1966 Batman TV series. But, you know, I'm going to take another break from this. And I'm going to review the latest Super Best Friends Forever shorts. And two of them have come out again. So this will be three and four. I did one and two a couple episodes ago. So, first up, we have Super Best Friends Forever number three Grounded. Take a listen to this clip. Ow! Oops. Supergirl, crime is afoot. And we're going to stop
2: it before the big guys show up. I can't. I'm grounded. It is of no consequence wickedness takes precedence over trivial penance. Ah, what she said. I'm in.
1: What are you doing?
0: You're supposed to be grounded, both figuratively and literally.
1: She's killed. Why are you gonna be such a nerf?
0: Ground. Dead. but I'm Superman, and you'll do as I say.
1: Oh gosh uh, There are just some Great moments And I actually Recently found out That Supergirl Is voiced by Nicole Sullivan And she was on Mad TV a lot I don't know If she's saw Mad TV uh, I know she's on Other shows as well But now I can Totally see it And it sort of It cracks me up It was great When Babs accidentally Slings a rock And hits Supergirl um, Hearing Wonder Girl Say "cry is a foot Totally reminds me Of something That Samurai Jack Would say And I think this Gets at Donna Troy's Kind of her 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 heart here because she's definitely the one with a great deal of honor and the eldest and her words show that. I love that Supergirl calls Kal-El a narc. And uh won't go further than that, though. I've certainly been dealing with some of that uh, at my workplace. I know that the fight bothered some people, you know, that I've heard. And, and I think it does everything that it's supposed to do. You know, it shows that Supergirl is young, and she's sort of a brat if she doesn't get what she wants. And yeah, this Superman is definitely a Boy Scout. He's going to follow the letter of the law. And hey, if it comes down to it. He's gonna call Ma Kent, and she's gonna be the one to, uh, to calm everything down. A super wedgie, whoo From Supergirl, has got to hurt. Uh, but I loved seeing Supergirl's dejected look slash flight on her way back into the house, and then Superman turns to the bush to see Wonder Girl and Batgirl, and they they just scamper away because 'cause they're frightened. So fun! I it's just ah man, it's just fun. I you know you gotta take it just the way it's presented, and I think we're just in an age right now. These DC, the one you know, the people that aren't enjoying dc as much we're just sort of jaded i think so we gotta gotta put on our our kitty pants i think or our hat or something and and watch these the next one uh and the last one i guess super best friends forever number four name game take a listen here kitty kitty
0: Since we
2: we're so super awesome together, we should totally make ourselves official. <laughs> Is it official, team? Game? <laughs> the S B S S. The Sibuffs? We are not calling ourselves the Super Best Friends forever. It's stupid. Stupid? Um, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Direct, direct, direct! You didn't know you were messing with brat girl. How oh, dare you mock the sacred name the Ow! Sharp as a knife. Brat girl, the me to go. me. Oh no! Oh, thank Jurell. I'm I'm sorry, girls. Sometimes I don't know my own strength. I could never hurt you. You two are my best friends. And we always will be forever. And we're super. <laughs> super best forever. It's perfect.
1: There's so much to say about this issue And there's so little to say Uh, You know, number one, I love how the whole time uh, That this entire discussion Is going on, they're fighting Cheetah And then, you know, all these expressions You gotta see this, you know, online All these expressions that Cheetah has When she's being beat up And and, and constantly trying to get away I think that's great Wonder Girl erringly thinks that SBFFS is SBFFS A name rather than an acronym uh, how dare you mock the sacred name of the bat? Quote uh, from Batgirl after Supergirl calls her Bratgirl. I loved it. Uh, it was just really fun and cute, especially with how into the name thing that Batgirl gets. And you can tell I, that she's sort of the youngest, and she really wants to. Um, she if she wants it to be fun. She wants crime fighting to be fun. But Supergirl, I think, wants to have things take it seriously, even though you know she loves her best friends. And they all start fighting each other. But then they stop and realize how special they are to one another. And poor Cheetah's got to sit there and <laughs> get beat up again. But uh, this, was, this was great. I can't wait to see when new ones come on. Uh, Green Lantern and Young Joseph have sort of been in repeats right now, and I'm not sure it's indefinite when they're going to pop on again, and I assume that DC Nation is going to repeat as well, but SPFF is definitely one of the the higher-notched shorts. There are some weird ones on there and ones that I don't really understand, but I think this one uh, usually high marks all around. Next up, we have Shipper Spotlight. I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. L- l- let me tell you about shippers. Not, 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 not talking <laughs> about. Get over get get over your own shipping
0: bullshit.
1: I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Stop talking so about that. Ship sh- shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Bats. Dick, Dick, Dick and Bats. Batman and Cat, Cat
0: There we go. For the shippers, Batman's Marinari to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien, Seth, 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 any shippers. I'll kill it.
1: Dick and Bats. Remember that shipper spotlight? Picks a particular couple? And in 120 seconds or less, I tell you the history of that couple, sort of their first hint of romance, and whether they are hot or not, whether they deserve to be together. And this spotlight is on Little Lobo a.k.a. Slobo and Empress from the Young Justice Volume 1 comic. First in a romance, Lil Lobo is a big flirt and seems to want to get with every girl on the Young Justice team when he first teams up with them during the Sins of Youth event. But he's especially taken with Empress, a.k.a. Anita Fight. In issue 32, a mildly interest but mostly apathetic Anita agrees to go on a date with Slobo. To say that the date is interesting is an understatement. But what really grabs our heartstrings here at BTO is ish number 48. When Anita's father is killed in an explosion set off by Agua Singaz Similar to the one that killed her mother So Lobo rushes in and pulls Anita out And is seen as the main comfort to her throughout the issue and the storyline with Singaz This act alone makes me believe that there is more to Lil Lobo Than just a desire to blow your fragging head off Hot or not I'm actually going to go with hot here, Uh, but it's more of an immature slash young love that makes him special. And I don't think the ditch Lobo Sr. would hold up in this way. So definitely hot for these two. Remember, you can send in any requests for Shipper Spotlight. And don't worry if you haven't heard yours yet, I do have a list going. And if you've emailed me... I've put it in sort of the the little list that I've got, my little notepad. So don't worry, I will get to it. You can email me at batgirl.oracle. At gmail.com If you have a particular request My literature recommendation actually is going to be Earth 2 I started a book but I kind of want to hold off on that To recommend it to you The first issue I really liked But I think the test is going to be issue number 2 When we actually see the the members of the team start And of course you've all heard the news That Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern right, The the Silver Age Green Lantern Or Golden Age I guess uh, He is gay on the team So we'll see how that plays into everything but the first issue was great, just a backflash, looking, looking at everything that had happened in the Dark Side War and how we got our two heroines to Earth One. So let's see. Remember to send any questions or comments to Oracle at gmail.com. Continue to sign the petition to get Batgirl Year 1 back into production. Come on, people. Think about all of these movies that are coming. Flashpoint? Do I have to talk about that again? Go on Facebook and like the page to get Batgirl Year 1 back into production. You can also like my page for Batgirl to Oracle. You can also follow me on Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Uh, Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. It's starting to heat up there are wildfires in Colorado. There are floods in Florida. There are 106-degree weather all around. So please be safe out there, but have a wonderful start of summer. When you next hear or see me, I will most likely be at San Diego Comic-Con. So be sure to us really check up on twitter and on the website as well because i'll just be posting a lot of things and i'll also be doing a lot of press stuff for the Batman batmanuniverse.net so be sure to stick there as well see some videos or interviews i'm really pumped i hope i get to be in on some interviews with young justice gang i've got woo, so many questions for that but it's such a great show uh but hopefully when i come back there'll be nice um episode again with with josh and donovan and kind of this rehash of what happened at san diego because i really enjoyed it i don't know if you guys did as well but it was kind of fun to break down everything that happened but thanks so much for listening i hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful fourth of july until next time